Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to this episode of Believe in Sparks on the Believe Podcast Network. It's LA's number one sports podcast network and the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? So the NCAA made a major shift from its historical norm. The association that had remained steadfast in prohibiting college athletes from being paid in order to preserve amateurism rules has reached a unanimous vote that NCAA member schools may permit students participating in athletics the opportunity to benefit from the use of their name, image, and or likeness in a manner consistent with the values and beliefs of intercollegiate athletics. This decision follows California's adoption of a law that bans schools in the state from preventing student-athletes from accepting compensation from advertisers and allows student-athletes to hire agents. The NCAA will continue to solicit feedback, but each of the three divisions must create rules by January of 2021. The law takes effect in 2023. So why the decision now? What does it mean for the smaller schools in the NCAA? How do they regulate any of this? We're going to talk about that and much more right now on Believe in Sparks. Our guest, Ed Schilling, has nearly 30 years of coaching experience as a head coach, a top assistant. Most recently in Division I, Ed was at UCLA for four seasons, Indiana University for two seasons. He's highly regarded and respected for his ability to recruit and develop players, many of them current and former NBA players. Ed Schilling is also one of those top shelf coaches out there who genuinely brings out the best in those who work with him. Ed, thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure, Stacey. Why do you think the NCAA ultimately made this surprising move? Well, I think it was just out of the pressure. When California passed that bill, um, they were really forced into a corner and had nothing, no other response but to react. So it was more of a reactive decision, I think, than, a, than something that was planned out and sought out and uh, Wade and all that. I think it was just kind of a reaction to California making their move. NCAA President Mark Emmert stated, quote, the NCAA ensures fairness and a level playing field for student athletes, end quote. I argue this decision upends a level playing field for all student athletes because a scenario similar to the NBA where many of the most talented players flock to a select few teams could occur. Now, given that recruiting is already extremely competitive, in what ways do you see more advantages disrupting the balance of power across the country? Well, it becomes very difficult. Uh, you know, I, I think it changes the whole landscape uh, of, of recruiting to some level. Um, all Now, it's uh, recruiting visits become business trips and, and uh, negotiations uh, with businesses and things like that for the highest level. I'm not sure it changes a whole lot for 
let's say the low to mid major uh, per se, but I think at the very elite level, you know, when I was at UCLA or Indiana, it, that that becomes a very uh, uh, a big battle for who can come up with the most dollars. Uh, I know that many times it was uh, uh, one of the key factors in recruiting was how are the parents going to get to the games and uh, being having distance to travel became uh, a, either an advantage or a disadvantage and uh, now it's going to be uh, there's a whole lot more into play and and I'm not sure how you regulate this how you make this still an amateur sport I agree with all of that I have such mixed feelings about this whole thing because if I was playing college ball or if I had a child playing college ball part of me would really appreciate this because the athletes work so hard and as you know you train them you're around them all the time I've even heard college athletes say it does feel like a job. So to be compensated for your work is, is an avenue to talk about. But I just I have so many mixed feelings about this. And advocates of paying student athletes can invoke the rhetoric of, quote, fair market value. But to me, that opens a floodgate of questions and concerns. How much should players be paid? Right. And it, it is a, a really uh, complicated uh, uh, issue uh, when you look at uh, a player that you know, a Zion Williamson, or even when I was at UCLA, when we had Lonzo Ball, who came out as the number one player in the country, who was known around the world. We took our foreign trip before his uh, freshman year, and he was signing uh, lines of autographs in Australia. Um, so you have players like that who there's a lot of money could be made by them. But then there's also players like me. I, I played at Miami of Ohio, and though I was a four-year starter and a record holder and some stuff like that, I'm not sure I would have, <laughs> I'm not sure I would have got much money uh, from <laughs> sponsorship. So, you know, I think it goes, uh, you know, it, it's really, really talking about kind of an elite, uh, small number of people that are going to uh, garner the big money. But that's the difference in winning a national championship. And you get basketball, for example, uh, and that's what I'm most familiar with, obviously. Um, it only takes a few players to really change a program and to take someone from uh, the middle of the pack to the winner circle. And, and I think uh, one, one business that has uh, you know, some deep pockets can change the face of college basketball. And then you look at football and you look at the amount of money uh, that's involved in college football right now. And, and you see that uh, there could be a whole lot of, a lot of money on the table for, you know, an 18 year old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's tough to manage. But then again, do you think this is perhaps the, the NCAA's way of keeping kids in school longer? Well, it could be, but uh, you know, again, I think we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, maybe 30 or 40 kids that are going to get a lot of money. But, you know, I think another issue to that I think of is a player, you know, here coaching in Indiana. There's guys that are good players at Indiana that are very, very popular that would be, you know, that would be uh, nice for a billboard and, and very popular and well-known, but they're not going to have pro careers. And if they are having pro careers, they're going to be overseas and they're going to be making, you know, uh, okay money, but not great. And yet, if they could capitalize on their marketability as a player at Indiana, for example, um, you know, that that's when their their highest value is going to be. So, you know, there's a whole lot of things to, to come into uh, 
to try to work through as this goes through, if it goes through. And I think they've given themselves a few years to, to try to, to work it out. Um, but, you know, I do. I'm like you. I see a lot of the positives. There's so much money involved. And yet, uh, you know, they, they make it so that a, a college athlete can work a job. But, um, you know, with the where as much time that's put in to being a Division One basketball player or football player, when they really realistically cannot have a job. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for them to be able to get their parents to games and things like that is, um, you know, doesn't quite seem fair. So, you know, I do, I, I do see both sides of it, how you keep the, the field level, boy, it's not real level as it is. And I think mm-hmm. excuse it even more. Mm, I agree with you. And I'm glad that you brought that up in terms of, Student athletes under scholarship are not allowed to have paying jobs during school. That's how it stands right now. So if college athletes are going to take money off their likenesses while in school, should their scholarships be treated as income and money received through endorsements also be treated and taxed like income? What are your thoughts on that? Well, boy, now now who pays for their tax attorneys? You yeah. know, <laughs> you yeah. know there just becomes so much. Uh, and now it's you're talking about a, an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old uh, negotiating a contract for, um, you know, their to negotiate payment for their likeness or for their name to be used. You know, I, I just think it, it's a complicated matter, and I think it's going to take uh, a lot of diligent work to be able to make this so that uh, they still can be student athletes. Uh, you know, I just know at UCLA and Indiana, and even as a head coach at Wright State University, which is Division One school, and uh, there's just not a lot of time. And now you're going to throw in a lot of uh, business type things that could, uh, that really c- can be make it even more difficult mm-hmm. to be a student athlete. And um, you know, we're we're also in the one and done era, so you know, it's just there. There's a whole lot of things that are going to have to be ironed out for this to work. I agree with that too. That's something that a lot of outsiders don't recognize or aren't really looking at. And maybe the NCAA needs to take a harder look at this too, because they say in some of their rules and bylaws that they say they have to follow these principles and guidelines, they must be applied. The students have to be treated like student athletes. They have to uh, make clear that there is a distinction between collegiate and professional opportunities. They cannot be compensated for performance or simple participation and they have to reaffirm, this is from the Board of Governors report, quote, reaffirm that student athletes are students first and not employees of the university. So here's my other question under the umbrella. You and I both know what it's like to, as me as a reporter, you as a coach, what time it takes when you take time, just like right now, out of your busy day to have a conversation with me. This is work for you, even though you're uh, a dear friend and I appreciate your time. It is your time. And these student athletes, if they do an endorsement deal, as you mentioned, uh, Indiana players on billboards, that's fantastic. But then those businesses are going to want more. They're going to want personal appearances. They're going to want days of signing autographs because that just comes with the territory of being a spokesperson, if you will. And if that person is paying you an endorsement deal, they're, they're going to have expectations. And at some levels, they're going to be pretty great. 
Absolutely. And there is just not much time. I mean, when you consider from going to classes to weight room to on the court to also just working on your game on your own, there's just not much time in the day. And let alone being just a normal, uh, you know, teenager, 20 year old college student, Uh, there's just very little time. And so, um, you know, I know one of the things that I dealt with as an NBA coach when I was with the Nets and also training NBA players um, was going from a, you know, just a, a, a kid to a man's world and mm-hmm. how what a difficult transition that was. And now uh, being able to have them to go from high school, you know, going from bell to bell to all of a sudden managing large amounts of money to you know, trying to manage a academic schedule to practice schedule weight room. And then all of a sudden your more notoriety uh, puts you in a position where there's more strain on you from a social perspective. Yes. Now they're on yeah. billboards, not that they're, you know, they're, they're well known as it is, but now you put a lot of money in their pocket. Those are even more issues that coaches are going to have to deal with. And, you know, something else uh, that I look at, uh, you know, as the NCAA said, it has to be uh, in a manner that is consistent with the collegiate model and legal precedent. You know, I don't know about what that that collegiate model, I'm assuming it's, you know, amateurism. And this seems like uh, amateurism is a, a thing of the past as this goes through, not necessarily for cross country and and, uh, you know, lacrosse and field, women's field hockey, those type things, um, maybe it doesn't make any impact. But for high major men's basketball, even women's basketball to, to football, it's going to be hard to maintain that consistency with the collegiate model and legal precedent. I don't know how we're going to do that. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned this at the top of the show. Uh, how does the NCAA even regulate any of this? And that is something that causes me a lot of concern and something else that I was envisioning as you were just talking about as these players gain more popularity they're on public college campuses now a guy in the NBA if they're making a lot a lot of money if they're so well known as a guy would be on a billboard in a high mid-major area uh, folks he might need security I mean I'm just thinking about this like all this that it rains down on these young athletes, are you going to have to see players walking around with security because they're worth so much money? Right. And, and I don't know how, how it does, how it works. I, I, I also see the other side, as we've mentioned, that this is a, an unbelievable amount of money coming into the NCAA coffers at the expense of or by these players. And yet many of them have trouble, you know, their mom and dad can't come to the game. We only have X number of tickets that we can give them. Uh, for their family. They've got brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles that want to come see them play. And no, you can't do that. You're only allowed this many tickets. And, you know, no, we can't pay for your family to come to the game. I'm sorry. They can't, we can't give you money to stay overnight in a hotel. And, you know, I know you get the Pell Grant, but that doesn't do a whole lot. That may help you with some clothes and a few things here or there. But, you know, uh, the NCAA has got billions of dollars, yet we can't get the parents to games and you say, okay, well, we'll pay for the parents to come to the game. Well, are you going to do that for the swim team, the diving team, the soccer team, cross country team? You know, are you going to do that across the board? And a school like Wright State University that doesn't have major college football, doesn't have football, how are they going to be able to do that? Their businesses are, 
if you make that, oh yeah, we'll pay for all, you know, we'll use NCA money. Well, are they, they, are we going to be prepared to do that across the board for every, every sport? And is it just division one? Is it just, is it go to division two and three? You know, there's just a whole lot of things to work through rather than just say, oh yeah, they can go get, they can get money for the replica Jersey. There's mm-hmm. a lot more to it. Mm-hmm. There is a lot more to it. And you said it, the, the NCAA said that they'll continue to solicit feedback, but they are asking that all three divisions create new rules by 2021. And that is asking a lot because college athletics consistently operate in the black with the traditional justification that football will subsidize other non-revenue sports than the non-revenue sports that you mentioned. So these added expenses of paying athlete salaries, this decision could very well put athletic, athletic programs deeper into debt. Absolutely. I, I know uh, there's several uh, universities that I'm uh, aware of that have had to drop sports uh, due to the cost and making uh, for Title IX that, oh boy, we can't have, you know, we, we're trying to make things equal. We don't have the finances to do that. So we're going to have to drop certain programs. And now what's happened is people, young people are losing opportunities to compete. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a handful of people that are going to, uh, players that are going to be professional, but most of them are going to go get jobs after college, uh, division one included. So now we're taking away opportunities because athletic departments can't, uh, uh, you know, can't, can't, stay above board financially so uh you know this is there's a lot of things to work through this isn't just oh okay yeah you can get paid like we mentioned so yeah how are you gonna how are we gonna do this at not only the low d1s but what about the division twos what about division threes and you know this uh maybe it doesn't impact them but if you're gonna make sweeping regulations relative to paying athletes where does it stop where does it start Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My bigger concern out of all of this, Ed, is the corruption and injustice. Those are things that have already existed in collegiate athletics at, at all levels of, of sport. It's happened for mm. as long as sport has been around. And this, I feel, just sets in motion so many other loopholes and so many other issues. I think some people think it will help minimize corruption, Mm. minimize injustice, but I unfortunately feel like it might get worse. Well, I I don't know. I think you're, you're kind of taking away the, taking away regulations and like anything else, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to enact some laws and create morality. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. And, and uh, so, you know, there is some things in place. And I think as the, uh, FBI had the, you know, made their sweeping moves uh, at the NCAA level, at least initially, it scared everybody for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll, now you take that away, I think what it changes recruiting uh, to an even another level now, if you say, okay, they can get paid for likeness, I think there's going to be a bulk of the recruiting is going to be, okay, we're going to hear in on your official visit, Stacy. we're going to have you meet with uh, this bank, and we're going to meet with this car dealership, and we're going to meet with this. Oh, oh yeah, by the way, here, here's an academic person, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, things change, and, you know, every player that you recruit, even the when I was at Wright State University, they all thought that they were going to be that NBA player. At UCLA and uh, Indiana, they all think they're one and done. 
So, uh, you know, you're, you're going to spend the bulk of your time recruiting is very much going to change. And um, whether it uh, makes things more um, corrupt or not, I don't know, but uh, I know it's going to make it a whole lot more complicated and it's going to change things from a recruiting standpoint at the highest level for college football and basketball. I think it's imperative that the NCAA also put in place something that helps these teenagers, student athletes with their finances. There has to be something that the NCAA puts in place. How do you have money and morality on the same line? How do you spend your money? How do you protect your money? They need to give these kids some example, some help of how they can best protect themselves and prepare themselves for the future when they get this kind of money. You're right. I mean, they, right now, they, there's so many things that these players have to go to. They go to, they have to sit through all the compliance stuff, all these different meetings. They have to go to, uh, which are all great things and, and very necessary from sexual abuse to this, to gambling, to there's a whole litany of things that these kids have to do. And honestly, there's very little time in the day for these kids to be student athletes, to be students and to be normal students. So it's going to be difficult. And yes, if you're going to give them more money, there needs to be education. There needs to be, uh, there needs to be some nets involved to catch these, to help them and to guide them and direct them with these finances. And, you know, Hey, I'm the 12th man on the team. Do I got to sit through all this stuff too? I've got a test tomorrow. I'm trying to get a degree. I'm taking 20 hours of classes. You know, so it's uh, um, th- you're right. There needs to be some things that to help these kids and help these families that maybe have had nothing and all of a sudden they have a lot of money in their pocket. You know, that's uh, that just like when a, a player goes from college to the NBA, they go from not having any money and uh, to having a fistful of wall, a mm-hmm. fistful of money in their in their pocket. You saw it in the NBA. Some mm-hmm. are able to handle it. Some aren't. It gets them into very you know, some very uh, tough situations. And now the friends that they have um, now see them with a, you know, a lot of money and Mm -hmm. it can add for, to a lot of problems. Now you're going to take that to a whole nother level and they're going to be younger and they're on college campuses. So uh, yeah, you're right. There's uh, there's a lot of potential issues. There are, well, the NCAA has written down many, very positive things in terms of the following of principles and guidelines that they say must be applied. You can find out more at NCAA.org. They've definitely um, made it interesting. So we'll be watching very closely. Ed Schilling, thank you so much for taking time to be on Believe in Sparks. We appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Stacy. The NCAA has its work cut out for them in considering modification and modernization of relevant NCAA bylaws and rules. Still a lot of questions to be answered, a lot of things to be ironed out. The bottom line is how to best serve the student-athletes. Football and men's basketball make the primary profit for the university, making it extremely difficult to pay other athletes equally. For instance, do volleyball players earn the same salary as quarterbacks? All of this busts down the door on Title IX compliance issues, especially if compensation isn't comparable, a topic that we continue to talk about in the realm of professional female sports as they continue to fight for equal pay. 
We'll continue this conversation with Sydney as she played at a high level collegiately and will provide us even more insight. So make sure you join us on our next Believe in Sparks episode. Speaking of Sydney, I'm happy to report she's doing great in Spain. She gets to see another beautiful part of the world and she's very blessed to be there on a great team and she's really enjoying herself. I've missed her. I know you have too. So we'll be excited to have her back on the podcast very soon. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our accounts are also on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Stacy Pates, and Sydney's at SweetBaby24. And if you're interested in advertising on Believe in Sparks, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Until next time, thank you so much for hanging out with us on Believe in Sparks. I need a dollar, 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 that's what I need. Well, I need a dollar, 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 that's what I need. Well, I don't know if I'm walking on solid ground. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.